Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We've been on this journey of celebrating your son's resurrection. We've been exploring what this looks like for our lives, what this looks like for the world. We've explored how it impacts just what we do from day to day, the way we think about ourselves. We ask that you continue to speak and work in our lives as we move out of the Easter season and into a more constant rhythm that goes through the summer and fall. May this be a time of growth for us as individuals, as a community of people. May we grow to know you more, to know your son. May we recognize the call that he's placed in our lives. May we respond accordingly. Speak to us today from these texts that you've given us. May we also grow because of them and be transformed. We ask this all in your son's name, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. One thing that's been interesting about uh, this Easter season is so much of the, the thinking I've been doing for, I would say, since I was in college, it started to really come together for me. And what I mean is that even though I went through seminary, even though I, uh, you know, have all these degrees, it doesn't mean that, that I have everything put together about how I understand what we're asked to do and how to live and follow Jesus. That's something that we all have to work out slowly and over time. And just because I had all this theological and biblical information stuffed into my head that I can recall... There's people who have all that information and, and are even professionals in the fields that require that information who don't have any faith. It can be a purely academic discipline. But the, the life of faith is about not what you know, but it's about what you do. It's about who we follow and what we're called to as his followers. And today's sermon or the text from today, I should say, sum up so well for us the message of Easter. Specifically, not uh, the theological ideas of Jesus dying and resurrecting and what that means, but the very practical idea of because of the resurrection, how does our life change or how should our life change? And today, that is summed up so well. And when we look at this passage, specifically the passage from John chapter 17, if you want to turn there now, to John chapter 17, it'll be verses 16, 6 through 19, we see that the mission of Jesus is so clearly put in our lives because we are called to know God and show God. We are called to know God and show God. And this is what Jesus was all about. So if we look here at John chapter 17, we're going to see Jesus talking about this very idea that we're called to know God and show God. Now this passage in John 17 skips ahead from where we've been. We've been in this vicinity in the gospel, but we are a couple chapters earlier for most of really 
even starting with Ash Wednesday and then Monday Thursday, and then uh, throughout Easter, we've been around these John passages where Jesus is talking to his disciples. But now we go to what is called Jesus' high priestly prayer. Now, it's just a fancy way that scholars talk about this passage. All that means is that in this passage, Jesus is going before God on behalf of his followers. And the reason it's called the high priestly prayer, high priests were supposed to go before God on behalf of Israel. So that's why that's the name. It's mirroring the role of the high priest. But what Jesus is doing is he's going before his father and praying on behalf of his followers. So we jump in at verse 6. So this actually skips the bit about Jesus and gets right to the bit about his followers. So if you want to follow along, it will be here on the screen. This is how it opens with this chapter 17, verse 6 of John. I have revealed to you, or I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. So now Jesus is talking to his father, and he says, Father, the people you've given to me, I have revealed to you to them. So Jesus is acknowledging that his father is the one who is guiding his work. His father is the one who is working in the lives of people, and Jesus is going to those people, and he's calling them. And those who respond are responding to obey his word. Now, another way of putting this is Jesus called people. So we see it throughout the Gospels. He calls his disciples. But there's times where he calls people and they don't respond. There's one story you might be familiar with. It's the story of the young rich ruler. It's uh, this man who goes to Jesus and asks him, he says, teacher, what do I need to do to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, you know, keep all of the commandments. And he says, I have done that. And then Jesus looks at him and says, he says, sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And then in the story we're told that the man walked away sad because he could not do that. Jesus asks all of us, are we willing to follow him? That's his call. Are you going to follow me? And this is something that his father has asked him to do. So a question early on, the question that was posed last week differently, where are you on that journey? This week the question is simply, are you following Jesus? Have you responded yet? Now continue with verse 7. This is what is said next. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you, ha- you have given me. For they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. These words here from Jesus are some important ideas. And they're ideas we don't always catch right away. We read this and it seems like a lot of 
he says the same thing over and over in different ways. That's how I feel. To be honest with you, that's how I feel about the entire Gospel of John. It's like constant phrases like this, like what I have is yours and what you have is mine and everything you've given me is to my glory and different things like that. It's hard to sort out what it's about. But what is the one thing in these verses that sticks out? Think about it in your head for a minute. I don't necessarily expect us to get it. I had to take a minute to think about it. But this is what it comes out to. It's all about the Father. And when we read the Gospel of John, Jesus makes very clear that everything he does is not about what he wants, but what his Father wants. It's not about him, it's about his Father. It's about him showing his Father to people. And this becomes so important, specifically if you look here at verse 8. Because he says this, he says, For I gave them, them being the people who responded to the message, the call, all of us, I gave them the words you gave me. Jesus is not speaking on his own. He's speaking from his, his father. And they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. Jesus comes on his own, not on his own message, but with his father's message. And he comes ultimately so that we can know the Father. So this is when we get to one of the favorite words of this season. I've used this word about every week, and it's he's coming back. It's such a great idea. This is again about koinonia. I keep saying that, about fellowship. What Jesus is saying is, I've come to show my Father to the world. Jesus brings us back to koinonia with God, connection and relationship with God. He brings God close to us and he offers us a chance to know God intimately again. That's what the story of the Bible is all about, about humans knowing God again. It's not about what we do, it's about knowing God. We are called to know God. Jesus says, follow me. Who am I going to introduce you to? My Father. When you follow me, you're actually learning about my Father. Do you know God? Would you like to know him better? It all starts with following Jesus. Because we are called to know God. But Jesus doesn't leave us just with this idea. Because he says, Father, I have come and showed you to my followers. But he says, I've also done a little bit more. Now continuing with verse 11 of chapter 17. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. The name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. We learn here one of the most important questions that people have. I don't know if you've had this question. I know it's a common one. Why is it that if we become a follower of Jesus, why do we stay here? And why didn't Jesus take those disciples with him? 
And that's partly because we often think about faith as we need to go somewhere else. We need to go to heaven. But what God's about is bringing heaven back here. So Jesus says, I am going to leave my followers here without me. But he says, I'm not going to leave them unprotected. And then he asks his father, will you protect them just as you have protected me? Now put simply, Jesus wants us to stay because we're going to find out why in a minute. But he doesn't leave us alone. He leaves us in the watchful eyes of his father. Let's keep going with verse 12. Well, I w- while I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. Now that's obviously the reference, well not obviously, let me tell you. That's a reference to Judas. So Jesus says, look, all my disciples have been fine except for the one who was going to betray me. But the point is that he will protect us. But this still leaves a big question, is why are we getting left here in the first place? Why is it that we stay when Jesus goes? And this is where he goes next. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy with them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. A couple things. So right here we learn Jesus expects the world to hate us. And what he simply means is that the world's going to reject the idea that we can bring about peace through self-sacrifice. That we can live the life of Jesus and not return people's anger with anger and not respond the way they expect. And because of that, people are going to be like, this doesn't make any sense. This isn't how the world works. Isn't it if we give someone an advantage, they're going to take it and squash us? And you know, and Jesus would say, maybe, and if they do that, I was killed on a cross, but I have victory already because the way of Jesus is about living a certain type of way. And he says, I want my followers, I want you to know you will be hated often because you've chosen to live that way. But again, we're not left alone. We're left with the Father And then this is what he says next in verse 16. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too might be truly sanctified. So even though we're left in the world, now this is the key point. Even though we're left in the world, we are not to be part of the world. Because instead, we are sanctified, is the word used here, which is a religious term. Or, more easy to understand, we are just simply set apart. We are set apart as different than the world. 
We are marked by God as his. He says, follow my way. Live the life I've made for you to live. I'm setting you apart as a chosen people. We're called to be different, to live differently. <clears throat> and why is it that we're called to live differently? It's because Jesus has sent us into the world just as he went into the world. Look, I'll show you right here. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. The Father sent the Son into the world to call the message of repentance, to call people to his kingdom. And now he sent us into the world. We remain to continue the work that Jesus started. Because remember, he's coming back here. He's coming back here to bring heaven to earth, to restore the brokenness. And it's about us coming together. We're left in the world to love one another, to be one, to live the way of Jesus. We're called to be here, but to be different. And it all starts with where our allegiance lies. Where is our allegiance? Is it to the powers of the world or is it to Jesus? Who is it that we follow? When we look to Jesus, we know God. And God has set us apart to do his work. And that work is to be in the world, but to look a little bit different than the world. And when we go into the world, what is it we do? We take the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is that life that is the life from the garden, choosing the tree of life, choosing to live the way God intended us to live, choosing to flourish, and choosing to share that with the world, choosing koinonia with God, harmony, reconnection, closeness with God and with one another. That's what we bring to the world. And that's what the world doesn't understand. You mean if we share ourselves with others, they actually receive us and don't use it against us. The world doesn't understand that. But we have to be the type of people that says, no matter who you are or what you've done, there's a place for you in the kingdom of God. But what Jesus always asks you then is to follow him. And that's where the question becomes, well, what does it look like to follow Jesus? But that's not what we're talking about today. We're simply talking about this call, that we are called to know God and show God. We know God, and then we are in the world and we show God. We are called to know God and show God. And that's the call of the people of God. And so this is where Easter ends, with this clear picture that Jesus came to show God to the world and establish his kingdom, or he, he came so that the world could know God and establish his people, his kingdom, to then show God to the world. He came that we might know God and show God. Now this is what we need to grasp, okay? This, is the, this was the role of Israel. This is what Israel is called to do. Back in Exodus, 
God said, I want to make you a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. A holy nation who knows me and a holy nation who takes me to the nations. We're called to know God and show God. When we know God, this is koinonia. It's being close with God. It's having intimacy with him. Where he knows us and we share ourselves with him. He already knows us, but he wants us to open up to him. How well do we know God? The more that we know God, the more that we're shaped into the image of his son. That's living the way of Jesus. The longer we live the way of the Jesus, the more we look, think, act, and live like Jesus. We show God. That's what Jesus expects. He's left us to show God. And we show God by how we live. Our actions, our reactions, our convictions. It should all be shaped by the way of Jesus. The story of the cross. The call to allegiance to Jesus. That's the story of Easter. And we're called to know God and show God. And now Easter comes to a close. But it does leave us with this big question, well, what's next? The king has come and he's started a kingdom. He's asked us to join it. What do we do now? We know that we're called to know God and show God, but what do we do next? And that's what next week's about. The Holy Spirit coming, the birth of the church, a new movement that begins that will take over the world. But today, the question we need to ask ourselves is, do we know God? And if we know God, do we show God? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we've been on this journey through Easter, we've heard lots of things, and we've even heard ideas repeated many times in different ways. And all that we can ask is that that many times of repeating these same ideas in different contexts and with different scriptures can just make more clear to us what you've asked us to do, which is simply to follow your son, to give him our full allegiance, to recognize that he is our true source of life and flourishing, that he can make sense of things that nothing else makes sense of, that he can heal us of wounds we never thought could be healed, that he could use those wounds in a way that brings redemption and hope, We ask that you would bring us freedom, that you would bring us resurrection, that you would raise to life our dead hearts, and that you would set us on a path to then show your son to the world. As we look at next week, the story of your church beginning, of your people being established to then go into all ends of the earth. We ask that you be with us as we continue that story 2,000 years later, today, in a place completely different than that first story, with a different language and different technology, 
with lives that look very different than lives of those first followers. But as we share in common allegiance to you and a conviction to follow you and show you, may you continue to shape us in the image of your son. For those of us who need to respond still, we ask that you continue to work in the hearts of those people. For people who have responded in the past and aren't sure where they are on the way, bring them back into a place where they can continue to grow, to know you more clearly, to experience your koinonia, and then to show you to the world. And for those of us who might feel as if we've been in a good place, may you empower us to look at others and help them along the way. We ask this all in your son's name, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.